0: Conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York.
1: Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfort. The Pastor Well podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry, and we are delighted to have a very wonderful guest today, Nancy Guthrie. I uh, am so happy to finally have you. Uh, Nancy is an author, a speaker, uh, a mom, a wife. She uh, blesses an awful lot of people. Welcome to Pastor Well.
0: Oh, thank you, Dr. York.
1: Now, uh, I'm most familiar with your uh, 2002 book, Holding On to Hope, A Pathway of Suffering to the Heart of God. And uh, tell us a little bit about your family and how God worked in your life and that book resulted.
0: Yeah. I have a son, Matt, who's 29. And when he was eight years old, I gave birth to a daughter named Hope and Hope was born with a rare metabolic disorder that meant that her life was very limited. She couldn't see or hear. Uh, she couldn't suck or swallow. Um, and we were told on her second day that she would only live about six months. And uh, Hope's life was a mixture of deep sorrow and uh, And incredible joys. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something very precious about life when you know it's going to be short. And so the 199 days we had with Hope were very rich, rich in relationship with others as we uh, talked about things that mattered because she was there. And just rich in enjoying her. um, And then she was gone. And to have a child with that syndrome means that my husband and I must both be carriers of the recessive gene trait mm-hmm. for this syndrome. And so we decided that the wisest course of action, knowing that whenever we have a child, that child would have a 25% chance of having the fatal syndrome. Uh, we took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy. And about a year and a half after Hope died, I discovered that that hadn't worked. And that I was pregnant, which was scary, (laughs) Uh, kind of exciting too. I mean, here was this thing that we had ruled out, and God had clearly overruled it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it was because he was going to give us another child to raise and enjoy that at that point we so wanted but did not expect. But then the other option was that maybe he was going to give us another child who would have this fatal syndrome and ask us to do that again. And um, so we went through prenatal testing and found out that that child, a son this time, also had the fatal syndrome. And that was our son, Gabriel, who was born in 2001 and uh, was with us also about six months.
1: I've just got to ask how you feel toward God at that moment when – With your view of God, you're, you're, you were believers and you believe in the absolute sovereignty of God that God rules in the affairs of humanity. And God overruled steps you took to prevent having a child. And he gave you a child that had a fatal disease. Mm -hmm. How, how, tell me how you work through. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I feel really grateful that. Even in some of the immediate years right before this experience, I had been doing a lot of studying on the sovereignty of God. So I was convinced of that. This didn't happen apart from him. But you know, if we only have the sovereignty of God uh, and we don't have the love of God, That's that's where the trouble comes in, right? That is. Because if he's only sovereign, but I'm not convinced he loves me and that he is working his best for me. Uh, that's a problem. And likewise, if I'm convinced he loves me, but I'm not convinced he's sovereign, how do I know that he has the power to work out those loving right. plans for me? But I, I was convinced he was for me and that he actually wanted to do something in and through me, um, uniquely through this experience. Uh, and, my pastor's just been preaching through Genesis, and we came to the passage in uh, Genesis 45, I think it is, where uh, Joseph says to his brothers who have done something terrible toward him, but he looks at them and he says, It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an incredible statement. It and, but it, it made me remember, you know, on that day that we figured out that I was pregnant again, actually saying those words to my husband as we're processing what had happened, you know? And I just said, it wasn't you who sent me here about God. Because think about Joseph. I mean, clearly his brother sent him there. They sold him off into slavery, but there was this, he knew that ultimately his life was in the hands of God. And similarly, in these experiences, I've been confident of that too. Now that doesn't mean, I haven't had any questions sure. about why and what he was doing and certainly you know if I if I asked God why the first time when we had hope which I did um the second time I mean yeah. why why again like if this was about me learning some kind of lesson about you did I not learn it uh, do I need the remedial course But I guess I would just say, once again, I I really did have this deep confidence he wanted to do something significant. And what I can remember was going away to pray and cry and process this once we had this news and just saying to him, okay, if you want to do something that's worth asking me to walk through this again, then do it. Even if it's just a work in me. Um then then do it. And, you know, you can only say that if you believe God is good and yeah. that he's for you.
1: That's Job, though he slay me, yet well I trust him. I mean, those are hard words. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to trust the Lord when, you know, you got money in the bank account and you're on a beach in the Bahamas and uh, life seems good. It's, it's in the loss and the hard things and the hurt and the sorrow and the pain. That's when trust matters you somehow uh, took your grief and your understanding of what who God is and what he's done, and eventually you wrote about it in that book.
0: I actually wrote my book, that first book you mentioned, Holding On to Hope, while I was pregnant with Gabriel. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I based it on a talk I had given during Hope's Life, uh, during which I had studied the book of Job, because I had, I was trying to figure out how does a, godly person like Job was lose so much question God boldly in the midst of loss and yet emerge from it with a life that's described as good as Job's was because at that point I thought my life will never be good again and I I couldn't imagine that it would be and so during Hope's life I spent a lot of time in the book of Job trying to see um, how that Worked in his life. And so I'd given a little talk to the women of my church about that and then just stuffed away those notes. And then during Gabe's life, I pulled them out, mostly to get really solid on some of those truths again myself, as I was preparing to walk through it a second time, Uh, but then put together that book and was grateful that it was published. And yeah, what is that? 17 years old and that book is still you know it it, it meets yes, people. people it does i get yeah, lots as a of pastor
1: it's the, the kind of book that i'm comfortable putting in someone's hand oh, and saying read well, this
0: i am so grateful to hear that i remember when i was publishing it i had you know i had a career in book publishing and um i had having worked for a publisher seen that so many authors, they write a book, and then they're never happy what happens with it. And you know, they're always disgruntled and thinks they should have done better or more or whatever. And I remember thinking, okay, before this book comes out, I better get really clear on what's going to define a success for this book. Because I don't think it's about being on a bestseller list. It's never been on a bestseller list or about numbers. But I was like, okay, Lord, would you give me the opportunity to see genuine spiritual fruit come out of this book and now for 17 years he's been doing that no doubt you've heard lots
1: of stories from people who said wow you just have no idea who how god used Mm -hmm. your book
0: well mostly i think what i hear is especially from women they feel like they had a companion in something that they felt a lot of people around them didn't understand what was going on in their life in terms of of loss and so it's great that's amazing thing about books that they could provide that kind of companionship.
1: You also have an extensive speaking ministry. You, you travel and speak uh, a lot. Uh, tell us about that. How often do you do that? Oh, In you don't want to know. do you do it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I so overbooked myself this last fall. And as I look at the coming spring, mm. I am gone every weekend uh, from January through the end of May, except for Easter weekend. So that's kind of crazy. Don't use me as an example of that. but um, But I tell you what, I love what I'm doing. I have done a lot of traveling and teaching the Bible. But this last fall, I launched a series of events around the country called Biblical Theology Workshops for Women. So at these three-session workshops, I am training women to get a better handle, a better grip on the basic storyline of the Bible, and then to understand that the divine author of the Bible has written into his book a number of themes, and that as we grow in our ability to grasp and trace those themes throughout the Bible— we're better at handling the bible we're better better at understanding it and interpreting it and applying it um you know so much of what hap- what's described as bible study in the local church so often it can be driven it can be felt mostly it's felt needs driven yeah. it can be very role driven mother wife whatever um it can or it can just be driven by um uh, inspiration, or simply, you know, just what people are curious about. And I think that Bible study in the local church among women should be driven by what God wants us to know, What to, that he would set the agenda for what is most important to us. And so um, I want to do my part in infiltrating women's Bible study in the local church with biblical theology. So by biblical theology, I don't mean theology that's biblical. I mean, theology that understands that uh, the Bible is one story centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ and that we rightly understand it as we see it in light of that.
1: So you're doing two things. You are teaching the content of Scripture, but you're also teaching a hermeneutic, how how to understand it. And specifically, you're doing that for women. So... Tell me, uh, as a you know, as a pastor, I have a real burden that we develop theologically robust women who can teach. Uh, those of us who are complementarian and believe that God has uh, he, that He has designed a distinction in roles uh, should not, thereby, though say, hey, you women, you know, you ever sit there in the corner and listen to us men do this. I mean, we need to develop women that are absolutely uh, uh, well-trained in the Scripture who can teach uh, as well as any man. It's not a matter of ability. It's, it's just a matter of calling and role and and the, the place. So tell me how I, as a pastor, can do that. Yeah, and we've got a lot of pastors listening. Yeah. Tell us what we need to do to develop pastor women so like
0: that. Pastors so underestimate the power of their affirmation and encouragement to women in their congregations when they see someone who uh, seems to have a special gift in terms of understanding and communicating the scriptures. Oftentimes, I think sometimes, oftentimes women emerge in leading women's ministry because of a lot of charisma and personality. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes... The people you really want to be emerging to lead in women's ministry they're actually a little quieter they sit back but when they speak up around a small group circle everybody listens right because they're immersed in the scripture and they have some ability those women those are the women you really need to be coming alongside and saying i hear that you love the scriptures so tell me how can i encourage that Maybe it's simply that you say, you know what, my library is open to you. You want to come by and maybe there's a certain areas you're interested in, a certain book you're interested, maybe say to that person you see a little spark of something, Mm -hmm. hey, what I would love to see you do is pick, pick an Old Testament book and a New Testament book and own it, become an expert on it. What book would you like that to be? Okay, here's my library. It's open to you. And then maybe let's set some time where we talk about it and talk about some of the the problematic passages you come upon, or you're wondering how you might communicate that if you're gonna teach this in women's Bible study next fall. Say, can we set a sign to talk about it? I, I think so often pastors just give over women's Bible study, and I'm not saying that they need to heavily control it, but you're the shepherd. Right. These are this is half of your congregation, and you're the shepherd. And so in making an investment. In what's being taught and who's teaching and in those teachers themselves. I mean, I, when I, I can think about a couple of different experiences I've had with pastors in regard to teaching. I can think of one time, I mean, I was teaching Romans like 9, 10, 11. I mean, hard passage, right? Mm-hmm. And to try to figure out how to communicate. And I can remember going to a pastor at the time and saying, okay, how do i best communicate i think it's saying this do you think it's saying this and and i got kind of yeah might be and and walked off you know just and i was teaching at the church and i wanted help to handle this difficult passage rightly so be willing to go there i mean it it would have showed me a lot more respect and been a lot more helpful to me from to say even if it was, I'm busy right now, but let's set a time. Right. I only got 15 minutes and let's just talk, th- tell me what you're seeing. Let's talk through this passage or here, here's, maybe it's even, no, here's how I taught it when I, when I was teaching Romans 11, you know, something like that. So that's yeah. big. But the other thing, I've had pastors who have done the opposite. I mean, I, I am so blessed, Dr. York, to have so many gifted, um, pastor theologians who have been open to me that I'll, Their libraries have been open to me, and they're open to my questions. You know, maybe it's like, can I come by because I'm working on this message, and I don't get this. I can remember working on one of my – I have a series of Old Testament Bible studies called the Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament Bible Study. I was working on Deuteronomy, and I was reading about this circumcision of the heart, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I – What is, what is that really? You know, and I can remember, you know, going to a pastor. Can I come, can I come and talk to you? And let's just talk about circumcision of the heart and what that is and what its implications are. So things like that to be just willing to engage and to encourage that kind of theological rather than solely interacting with the women of your church about circumstantial things, about controversial things, about role things, but about the scriptures and hermeneutics and theological um, topics encourage your women to think of themselves as theologians
1: It's exactly right. We are all theologians that's right some of us are better than others <clears throat> that's right
0: um, but if we're talking about the things of God I mean this is well this gets me off on a beef but you know s- some books that have come out and people would say well she's not doing theology well if she's talking about God at all, yeah she's doing
1: theology that's right
0: and the question is
1: it whether good, it's faithful or that exactly
0: there's one other thing i would say to pastors in this regard um, i think pastors are a little bit more attuned to this now than they were a couple of years ago before a couple of things exploded but i can remember about three or four years ago i was um, teaching at a church and having dinner and the pastor was there and he asked me the question what do i not know about the women of my church that i need to know and my answer was you don't know what bloggers and let's add podcasts bloggers and podcasts your women are listening to mm-hmm. and what you don't know is in many cases they've come to trust those voices more than yours and so you need to know who they're listening to and understand what those issues are that they're that they're actually so if you if you conflict with what that person says, then pr- they're probably going to trust that person more than you. That That's a pretty significant I mean, issue for a pastor.
1: Yeah, and especially if the pastor's not showing any care and concern for them in their growth. You know, I, I think about the women in my church, and I am so blessed with just women who are so deep in the Scriptures, and I uh, I, I see them teaching, applying, uh, just uh, on such a, a, a marvelous a marvelously deep level, and when I say something to them, and I appreciate that you're such a, a woman of the word, they
0: soak it up, don't they? Oh, they,
1: they it it does two things. First of all, it encourages them, but it also propels them forward. It's like absolutely they they want to know more and want to do more, and you know I'm their shepherd, and uh, and part of, part of my job is the encouragement of the sheep, and I don't want to be guilty of just encouraging mm-hmm. the men. Uh, for one thing, uh, I mean, it's, it's often whether we like it or not, it's often the women in the home that are driving, uh, levels of commitment and involvement. And, uh, if men won't step up and do their jobs, the the solution is not that the women withdraw. I'm going to do everything I can for both men and women to be Deep in the scripture, deep in theology, what are we doing? Speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And you know, this is what the Christian life looks like, a, a spirit-filled life. It's it's one that's based on scriptures. And you can't do that with half your congregation. You've got to do it with men and women. And this is why I just thank God for your ministry. You, The Lord's just uh, raised, you up, raised you up for such a time as this, I believe. Thank you. You've got uh, a new book coming out. Uh, is it out yet? No, it'll be out in April. Uh, I got an advanced copy, oh, which good. I was very uh, on PDF, so it wasn't a hard <laughs> copy. But okay. I look for it. Tell us about it. What it? What is the book?
0: It's called "Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus." And so, in this book, over the ten chapters, I look at people in, who interacted with Jesus in his his ministry, and honestly. It's just people that I was really curious about. I think most people, may, and maybe this is the case for most books, people think, okay, someone becomes an expert on something, and so then they write a book about it. And actually, most of my books have come about because there was something I'm not an expert on, but I want to know and understand.
1: That's right, you want to dig.
0: And so, I say, okay, I'm going to write a book about that. And uh, so, that's that's the case with many of my books, including this one. And there were just a number of people I just was like, I want to understand them better so one of them was john the baptist here is this old testament prophet really right and he recognizes jesus from the womb he leaps for joy right in his mother's womb when mary comes around
1: I just preached that passage
0: oh did you uh two weeks ago yeah and then he clearly recognizes who jesus is when jesus comes to him to be baptized and he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world mm-hmm. but then he's languishing in prison Put there by Herod, and he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are are you the one, or or should we be looking for another? And so, you know, my question was, what is all of that about? You know, and some would say he's just discouraged there in prison. He's having doubts. No, I don't think so. Jesus,
1: Jesus said no.
0: I I became convinced his understanding of who Jesus was, who the Christ would be, and what he would accomplish, was shaped by Isaiah. Right. But he didn't understand this was all of these things in Isaiah were going to happen in two comings, not just one. That's right. And so that's why Jesus sends him back and he, he uses some of those passages from Isaiah that he knows that John the Baptist is very clear on because John the Baptist has been using them. You know, like the yeah. the axe is at the root of the tree and it's about to be chopped down and the, the fire is coming. Well, in those same passages is revealed that the the Christ is, is going to – heal the blind and the lame and be a messenger of good news to the poor. And so, he, he's he's ac- he's accommodating um, John the Baptist, but meeting where he is saying, okay, you love the scriptures and they have shaped your understanding about me, but you're, you're not looking at the full picture. Um, but here, here in, really though, that, that chapter is about repentance because John the Baptist's ministry is all about Repentance. Right. It's, it's amazing to me when you think about him that he's out in the wilderness. He's weird looking, and yet everybody's leaving the cities everybody's to go hear his message. A
1: long way to go down to a very hot desolate place. And to hear. and his
0: message is not comfortable at all. I no. mean, it's just shocking to me. They want to go out there to hear it because he's not pampering them. He's calling them away from the status quo and he's saying you got to repent. Everything about your life needs to turn around and go in a different direction. And they're going out to hear it and they're being baptized because they they want something real with God that they haven't had to that point, at least not what the Pharisees are serving up to them. But then, when you look at these two scoundrels at the end of John's story, Herod and Herodias, I think it's interesting. It says that he had been telling them, basically, he's been confronting them about their sinful relationship, which is incestuous mm-hmm. and adulterous. And evidently, he hasn't told them just once, he had been telling them over and over right. again, and they've refused to repent. And so, as I just looked at that story, Just there's something very significant about repentance there. Repentance is a big call, but to resist the call to repentance means that at some point the voice of God through the Holy Spirit uh, is going to be silenced in your life. You will Your opportunity to repent, the case for Herod and Herod the opportunity for repentance passed yeah, that's for right. them. So it's important
1: to- You will kill it.
0: Yep. You know? So- that's just one chapter i just I, you know i wanted to i wanted to understand peter and how he changed from the person he is in the gospels and acts to the person who writes first peter and second peter uh, i looked at the family of jesus beginning with his lineage and then his parents and then his siblings shocking to me that his siblings can grow up in the same house with someone who loves perfectly yeah. and don't believe in him
1: yeah, that's right
0: but then what happens they become we, we get to the book of of james and jude these half-siblings of Jesus, and I love how they introduce themselves in their gospels, they don't say, half-brother of Jesus here, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, those kinds of things are amazing to me. Um, I looked at someone like Caiaphas, I mean, what a scoundrel. Here is the high priest of Israel, he should be the one leading people to see that Jesus is the Christ, and instead he's leading the effort to kill and crucify the Christ, and if we think about the role of high priest, the role of high priest was always – it was there as a shadow. It had always been just merely a shadow of a greater high priest to come. And here you have in that scene in John, here is the shadow, and he comes face to face with the substance. That's right. That's cast that shadow back into history, and he doesn't even realize it, and he, he reviles him. And he doesn't realize that actually this great high priest has made his whole role obsolete. He'll discover this a short time later when the temple is actually destroyed. Um, but anyway, those are just some of the saints and scoundrels no, that, that I look at in this first
1: book. First of all, I love uh, character studies that are that are taken from the scripture like that, not fanciful. But rooted in what the text actually says, you do that extremely well. Well, and
0: my focus is not looking for examples to follow. Right. E- each one is looking at what does this person and their interaction with Jesus reveal to us about the person and work of Jesus Christ? That's what we want to see more clearly, and each of them helps us to see that. Yeah,
1: you have a chapter about uh, Barabbas and the thieves. Yes. Uh, uh, talk about them because I'm I have a particular interest there. Uh,
0: I do too. I mean, to me, it's. It's fascinating. Here's Barabbas, what must it have been like? I mean, he's the first person who should have understood the principle of substitution, That's right. right?
1: That's exactly because, right. Because,
0: like, I mean, we look at the cross and we would say, okay, that cross was meant for me. This is the punishment that I rightly deserve for my sin. But for Barabbas, I mean, this was the cross that had been prepared for him. Yeah. And I just, you know, I wonder in the book, of course, we have no idea, did he look? Did he? Did he come in the crowd and see Jesus hanging on that cross in his place, did it ever move him to repentance? Or was that wasted in his life? Did he never see that he could have taken hold of Jesus by faith and been forever uh, pardoned and forever escape judgment that he deserved? Uh, We don't know. Right. And then we've got those two thieves on the cross probably part of Barabbas's band probably, of terrorists.
1: Yeah. And but, uh, Josephus talks about Barabbas and he uses the word laestes, uh that is usually translated thief uh-huh. in Matthew and Mark for Barabbas but it clearly means it's <clears throat> more than just common thief insurrectionist and insurrectionist. That's word, yeah, that's the word that's used for them too. So it's I think it's likely that they were all part of, you know, the same. I call
0: them. They, we would think of them as terrorists. Terrorists, right? yeah. First they, they, they've yeah. got an agenda in regard to the Jewish people, and right. they don't care about collateral damage. And so clearly, because they talk about some who had died in the insurrection, so they're this murderous band of terrorists. And yeah. but there they are. There, these two band members, perhaps then beside Jesus, and. When you p- try to picture this scene, it's amazing to me that one of those thieves could look at the man beside him who is bloodied and covered with the spit of people who have spit on him and mocked him, and they've, he's, they've seen his suffering, but he's also been listening to what he's been saying. Right. He, he hears him say, um, forgive them, Father forgive them for they don't know what they do, And but somehow he's able to look at this man beside him and come to believe that he's a king who has a kingdom that that's he right. wants in on. That's and so right. he says to him he says, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom.
1: That he's that's the amazing. only person in the gospels who believes in the resurrection of Jesus before it happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. No one yeah. else. No one else. Yeah. You know, the, the Jesus been telling the other the the disciples in Caesarea Philippi what's going to happen. None of them are standing at the foot of the cross going hey I know it looks bad
0: they think the cross is the end yeah
1: but it's that's right but he's going to get up in 3 days mm-hmm. but this thief says oh this is a king mm-hmm. his kingdom is yet coming uh and you know you can only conjecture but what scriptures he knew as a you know it's most likely he's a Jew because he's been crucified and he would have known psalm 22 mm-hmm. my god my god why has, have you forsaken me? And hearing Jesus say these things, the Holy Spirit putting that together in his mind, we, we don't know exactly the process, but we know that that one statement of faith. Um, by the way, in Luke's gospel, everybody else uses the word save. Everybody. The, the, the Roman soldiers, the chief priest, and the other thief all say, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself and us. Only guy that doesn't use the word is that the thief that believes, and he just says, "Remember, remember me." Well, and it it is a remarkable. Text.
0: And Jesus' words to him aren't we so gl- grateful that we have those words yeah. because he assures him. He says, "Truly, I say to you today, today you're going to be with me in paradise." Yeah. And you know that's a pretty unique revelation for us, and it's yeah. something. That those of us who have lost someone we love who is in Christ. It tells us exactly what's on the
1: other side of death.
0: Absolutely. We don't have.
1: There's personality. Yes. There's a place. With me. There's a person. Yes. With me.
0: And to think about that that dying thief, Jesus clearly died before him. Now, there's where faith comes in. He's dead. Do I really believe that in this promise? We're all in that moment. Do I believe his promise? Uh, But then he died and he took his next breath in the presence of Christ in paradise and this is something we have to take hold of to know that if we are in Christ that we can anticipate that same joyful restful life filled uh, eternal future with Christ and
1: and that is what helps us deal with grief isn't it absolutely well nancy it has been a joy to have you today i like to end my pastor world podcast with just uh, what i call twinkling of an eye around just some just some sort of random quick questions
0: Uh oh i'm afraid now. yeah
1: th- 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 no th- i'm not no i didn't study worry, for the test nothing to trip you up or anything like okay. that just sort of your favorite kind of things or okay. whatever. all right and uh, okay. you can even pass if there's something okay you don't answer. I, might no, I might
0: take that for a yeah
1: no no problem uh
0: okay
1: uh your fa- favorite christian author
0: Favorite Christian author.
1: Or would two i
0: I'll tell you two or three I've learned the most from. Yeah. You know, my most recent book is a book called Even Better Than Eden, Nine Ways the Bible Story Changes Everything About Your Story. And I trace nine themes of the Bible. And so, there would be two or three that really I couldn't have written the book without them. And sure. so, one would be G.K. Beale,
1: uh-huh. Greg Beale. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: and his New Testament biblical theology was really helpful. Um, I had never read Meredith Klein before working on that book. And so, you know, reading what he had written was also incredibly helpful. And J.V. Fesco, some of the things that he had written um, were incredibly helpful. So, I'm about to take a class in a couple of weeks from Sinclair Ferguson. That Sinclair Ferguson is teaching at RTS Orlando uh-huh. on Puritan theology. So, I've got to read a bunch of the Puritans in Dolly the next Ridge. couple of weeks. So, ask me again later. Okay. Maybe
1: uh, do Do you have a favorite uh, vacation spot?
0: Mm. It's hard to beat San Diego. It's almost always sunny and perfect. I was just correct?
1: there for the ETS meeting. I know. It's pretty was perfect. My isn't? First time Although there. I
0: understood it rained the whole time. It did ETS. rain. Well, the f-
1: <laughs> first two days, I got one yeah. clear day.
0: Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I found these last minute cheap tickets to London. And I had an $800 voucher from a, a canceled flight burning in my pocket, too. And so my husband and my son and I, we went to London kind of last minute, just right before Christmas. And we had the best time. Oh, so yeah. I feel like there's a lot more I'd like to explore
1: there, too. Yeah, London is absolutely wonderful. And a f- favorite vacation spot of, of people I talked to on this podcast. It, it comes up yep. repeatedly. Yep. Uh, do you have a hobby?
0: I need a hobby. (laughs) I need uh, – let me tell you this. Let me tell you one of my favorite things that I do as many days as I can. I live right by – in in Nashville, there's a series of parks called the Warner Parks, uh and they are the biggest blessing to this city. You walk into those parks and you get on the trails and you feel like you're in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. I mean, they're beautiful. And we live – it takes me maybe three, four minutes to drive from my house there. So as many days as possible, I either text a friend and we usually just say walk question mark and see you in 10 and we meet over at the Warner Parks Walks or or I go by myself and I listen to podcasts like this one. I've, I've got about 50 minutes for the walk. And so that would probably be my, my hobby if I have one. Uh, if I've got time and the weather's decent, I want to be over there.
1: Favorite kind of food.
0: Favorite kind of food. Um, let's see well I'm having a dinner party tonight and I'm going to serve tenderloin (laughs) I did it last year and they loved it so I'm just going to do the same thing tenderloin and roasted vegetables and roasted rosemary potatoes and um, I'm either going to do chocolate cake with peppermint cream cheese icing or just serve some peppermint ice cream with some chocolate you're making my mouth okay well come over
1: and your favorite activity with your husband
0: Mm. Uh, you know what I wish my husband were here so you could meet him. I have the best husband and we um, have.
1: Same way about my wife. I, I, I mean, it just either. makes
0: me smile for you to mention him. I think the thing is, I think about, you know, we're, we're empty nesters uh-huh. at this point. We both work at home, uh, which is just delightful. And I think, you know, I think about us at the end of the day and we're sitting in those two recliners and we're talking about our day and things mm-hmm. that matter. And he, He's so funny. I mean, he can just he can make me laugh. I think just sharing history. Now let's see, we've been married 33 years ago. I guess. You know, so there's certain things he say that to nobody else would be funny. Yeah. But because of our shared history, I think they are he just yeah I, he the makes me split ton- I, I split a gut. right? you know, and yeah. and he helps me with so many things. It's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing the way he delights in helping me with things that are not, maybe not hard to a lot of people, but maybe they're challenging to me. And it's his joy to help me. Um, That's incredible. And likewise, it's my joy to help him in ways that are meaningful to him. And so that's a beautiful way to live.
1: That is a beautiful way to live. It's the one flesh principle that God designed. And I'm so grateful that uh, he's blessed you in that way and that he's used you to bless us so much. So, Thanks for being with me today on Pastor Well. I, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Dr. York. And, uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. Uh, if you've not yet subscribed, please do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. I'll see you again next time on Pastor Well.